Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and a good afternoon to you. It's wonderful to be with you. It's Rabbi Michael Katz here with Judaism 101.9 and a great, beautiful afternoon. It actually is here in Joburg. Sun is shining and temperatures aren't too bad. I believe there's going to be a cold snap coming about, but nothing that we can't deal with after all that we've had to deal with over the last while. But we're sitting at a time right now where, from a Judaism 101.9 point of view, things are on the up and up. Things are starting to improve. Uh, first of all, the uh, rate of COVID infections is coming down, and that's always good news. Secondly, there's been a quelling of the violence and looting that we have seen of late. And thirdly, we are in a period of time in the Jewish calendar which speaks exactly to those points. And so today I would like to share with you some of the beautiful insights into this week and particularly this coming weekend where we celebrate a very special special Chag, a special festival on Shabbos this coming weekend, which is called Chamisha Asar Ba'av or Tu Ba'av, the 15th of Av. Remember the word Tu stands for the number 15. We've explained that before. That's because you've got a tet and a vav, and the tet and the vav is 9 plus 6. 9 plus 6, of course, is 15. And that's in order to avoid saying Hashem's name, because if we were to follow the yud plus the uh, the letter, like a yud plus aleph is 11, a yud plus bet is 12, yud plus hey would be 15, and that's one of God's names, and we're not allowed to say that. So, Coming up on this Shabbos, a little bit more about that in a later part of this program. But let's just look back at Jewish history for some incredible things that occurred on this date in Jewish history. And of course, I'm talking about the 12th of Av. Today is the 12th of Av, the 12th of Menachem Av. Remember, it was Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av on Sunday, which makes today the 12th. What happened on the 12th of Av? Number one is in 1263, there was the famous Nachmanides disputation. Now, what happened here? King James I of Aragon in Spain made an order that Rabbi Moses ben Nachman, who lived from 1194 to 1270, was compelled to participate in a public debate. This was going to be held, and it was held in the king's presence. And he was debating against a Jewish convert to Christianity, whose name was Pablo Cristiani. Now remember, the Spanish um, rulership, the biggest power in Spain in those days, of course, was Christianity. A tremendous amount of power was vested in the church, and there was a tremendous, tremendous push to try and convert Jews out of Judaism, make them Christians, change them into being Christians. And, of course, we have um, the Spanish Inquisition that followed with uh, terrible, terrible scenes and crimes against humanity, in particular against Jewish humanity that happened in those days. But let's get back to our story. Rabbi Moses ben Nachman, who was known as Nachmanides, was compelled to a debate. Now, of course... The rabbis never wanted to debate. They never wanted to engage in these things. There's always the issue, the problem with any of these debates, that 
um, people listening may be convinced, you know, you're setting yourself up for a partial failure, even if you win at the uh, uh, the final push and the final line, you come home as a triumphant and you take the gold medal in the debate, so to speak. But nevertheless, somewhere along the way, somebody may have been convinced, convinced by the other side's arguments. And so you've set yourself up for the possible failure of having some of the arguments perhaps not one, but um, sounding something to look into, something convincing. So the rabbis always were against such debates, but here under the uh, pressure of the king who would otherwise have executed, of course, they had that power in those days, they could have executed Moses ben Nachman, Moshe ben Nachman, Nachmanides, but he was forced into this debate with Pablo Christiani. The brilliant defense that he put forward of Judaism and the refutations of Christianity's claims served as the basis of many such future disputations throughout the generations. It became a legendary story. But because of this victory uh, being such an insult to the king's religion, to Christianity, Nachmanides, after winning the debate hands down, was forced to flee from Spain. He went to Jerusalem, he went to Yerushalayim, where he found just a handful of Jewish families living in abject poverty and revived the Jewish community there. He built a shul in the old city of Yerushalayim, which happens to be one of the oldest shuls um, that are in use today. If you know where uh, in the old city there was the building with a big arch that used to stand like, that stood like that for a long, long time and was restored and people used to call it the Churva shul. Well, that is on top of a small shul that's underneath, which is known as the shul of Nachmanides, the Ramban's shul, not to be confused with Rambam, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, this is Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, Nachmanides, and this shul that he built in the old city is still in use today, and it's probably, as we said, one of the oldest, if not the oldest, standing shuls in the world, built by and with the aid of the Ramban after his disputation. And the disputation took place on the 12th of Av, today, in 1263. There's something much more, much closer to home, and of course of value and of relevance to all of us who follow uh, Chabad Hasidism and uh, know the center of Chabad in the world, of course, the powerhouse from which the Rebbe uh, operated and uh, gave opportunity to Jewish communities around the world to be infused and be revived and be uplifted and be uh, uh, threaded with the most incredible educational programs as Chabad is well known around the world. It all came out of a place that people now have made a famous name for it. It's called 770. 770. If you just say the word 770 in the Jewish community, everybody knows that that refers to the center of Chabad activity in the world. Now, that is 770 Eastern Parkway. Eastern Parkway is a parkway, a uh, triple carriage uh, parkway. And everybody knows, I hope you know what a parkway is. It's where there is an island of like sort of parkland in between the roads. Uh, we would call it kind of a dual carriageway, I guess. But this is... Uh, not as such a highway because there are, of course, turnoffs on every corner. Here we have um, the Eastern Parkway, and at number 770 Eastern Parkway, 
a building stands, which is the headquarters of Chabad Lubavitch and always was the place where the office of the Rebbe actually uh, is, was certainly when he used it until um, his departure from this world um, in a physical sense um, some years ago. Now, it was on this date, on the 12th of Av in 1940, that the building at 770 Eastern Parkway in Crown Heights in Brooklyn was purchased by Agudas Hasid Chabad, the Chabad Lubavitch community, to house the living quarters, the study, the office, yeshiva, and shul of the previous rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok Schneerson, who'd arrived in New York following his rescue from Nazi-occupied Warsaw five months earlier. It's also served as the headquarters, of course, of his son-in-law and successor, the rabbi, and continues today to be that headquarters, that central spot on earth, 770 Eastern Parkway, bought today, 12th of Av, in 1940. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. There were many things that happened on the 15th of Av. The 15th of Av, of course, coming up on this Shabbos, a great Jewish festival, although perhaps lesser known and perhaps not as widely celebrated. Of course, we're going to be celebrating Shabbos, Shabbat, on this coming 15th of Av. But it is a great Jewish date. What's it really all about? Well, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel in the Gemara and Tainus tells us there were no greater festivals for Israel than the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. Wow. Compared to Yom Kippur. A great and wonderful day compared not just to any one of the Chagim, not just to any of the festivals, but to Yom Kippur. And he says, goes on, on these days, the daughters of Jerusalem would go out and they would dance in the vineyards. And what would they say? Young man, raise your eyes and see which you select for yourself, and so on. The Talmud goes on then to list several joyous events which occurred on the 15th day of the month of Av. So the first thing is that the maidens danced in Jerusalem. Dancing maidens in Jerusalem, a uh, scene of uh, love, and a scene of attraction, and a scene of the making of marriages. There are many who try and say that uh, this is the Jewish Valentine's Day, and I don't think anything could be further from the truth. There's nothing about Valentine, and there's nothing about just this idea of love. But there is something very significant and important, because Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel tells us that there were no greater festivals for Israel than the 15th of Ava and Yom Kippur, it's compared to none other than Yom Kippur. And perhaps we'll come back to that in a few minutes. But let's first take a look at some of the other things that we're told that occurred on this day and see if we can find a common denominator, some kind of a link between them and perhaps to really understand what it meant that these girls danced in Jerusalem, that the young maidens would go out and that shiduchim would be made, that marriages would be made. And, of course, there is great hope and there's great emphasis on this coming Shabbos and Chamish Ba'av. And you will know that there are all sorts of uh, mechanisms. It's uh, a great day for Shadchanim and it's a great day for shiduchim. And it's a wonderful time for people to join, as they are internationally, chalabakes, to get people to be involved in trying to pray for and in trying to help and assist those who need to find their soulmates. What has it all got to do with 
all of the other things perhaps that occurred on this day. So let's go forward and see what else we're told happened on the 15th of Av. Well, the second one is the dying of the generation of the Exodus ceased on this day. We did mention this over Tisha B'Av and in the days building up to it, that one of the reasons why we commemorate Tisha B'Av is it was the day in the desert that the Jews sat and cried. They cried for naught. They were told by the spies who came back on the 8th of Av that uh, Israel was a place that was going to eat its inhabitants, that they were going to be swallowed up or crushed by the giants. We viewed ourselves as grasshoppers. All the imagery that was used around trying to persuade the Jewish people not to be so desirous of uh, access to Israel, this actually happened on the 8th of Av, that the spies returned and the people sat and cried. And God said, well, you cried for nothing on uh, this date. We will have a reason to cry. And the reason that you'll have to cry is that everybody is going to have to die out in the desert from this generation. Now, there were all sorts of decrees already that people didn't get sick and they didn't die in the desert. And so this special overriding decree was that the Jews, Jewish people who were counted 600,000 men who represented each family. Remember, the women were not involved yet. It was the men who had needed to die out of that generation. They died at a rate of 15,000 per year to make up the 40 years in the desert to get uh, to put pay to the 600,000 people who didn't want to inherit Israel. They died in the desert, and they all died, believe it or not, year to year on Tisha B'Av. On Tisha B'Av, day of death in the desert. But now imagine the euphoria at the end of it all. In the last year in the desert when they realized that the decree was over and they couldn't have been sure just looking at the moon. Remember in those days they didn't have a Google calendar and they didn't have a printed calendar even on their uh, wall to be able to refer to. They uh, were judging dates by gazing at the moon and working out what day of the month it actually was. And remember, it's an incomplete science. It's not as though you can just count the days. Remember, a Jewish calendar month is really based on the fact that the cycle of the moon is 29 and a half days, more or less a half day, and therefore it's not exact. So it was done by sight of the moon. And when it was done by the sight of the moon, they were looking at the moon on the 9th and then on the 10th and then on the 11th and the 12th until it became clear that the decree was over, was actually the 15th of the month when they could see and there was no debate. There was nothing that could uh, look any different than a full moon. When they realized that the moon was full, they knew that there could be no debate. There was no chance that maybe they had miscalculated and that it was the 10th or the 11th or the 12th and so on. There was no chance that this decree was going to come back. And they looked around and they realized that everybody standing there was going to inherit Israel. Everybody was going to go into Israel. And this was the 15th of Av in the year 2487, which is 1274 before the Common Era. Everybody standing around realized that they were going to inherit Israel. When was that? 15th of Av. So, decree gone. Decree over. Newfound love between God and Israel and the Jewish people. And then... A third event. The tribes of Israel were permitted to intermarry. What happened here? The Jewish people inheriting Israel, so now of course we're talking later on, 
they had a uh, question that is raised in the Torah about women inheriting. If they, there's no men in the family, what happens if women inherit from their fathers and then perhaps marry somebody from a different tribe? Well, God actually proclaimed that women could inherit in a case where there were no men that could inherit in the, the land because, remember, this was all tribal and you wanted to keep it tribalized. And, of course, there was a trust and an understanding that this could all be worked out between the tribes and negotiated as some kind of a settlement of the land um, when it needed to uh, take stock of all the land that was owned by a particular tribe. But what happened if a woman married somebody from a different tribe, they would own land within another tribe's land. And this led to all sorts of conflicts and difficulties until such time as our sages saw fit to place a moratorium on marriages between tribes. They said that because of this uh, terrible feud of um, land claims that couldn't be settled, they rather saw it fit to place a moratorium on marriages, no marriages allowed between tribes in order to keep the dignity and in order to keep the peace and the harmony and make sure that um, there were no such questions of uh, tribes owning land in other tribes' uh, allotment. This is a decree that was passed by our sages and, in fact, they saw fit to lift it after one generation on the 15th of Av. And this was then a day of great celebration and festivity. Well, we're starting to see a link here with things to do with marriage, of course, and the idea perhaps of the maidens dancing um, in Jerusalem, as Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel tells us in the Gemara Titus. There was a fourth event. The tribe of Benjamin was permitted to re-enter the community. It was on this date that the tribe of Benjamin, who had been excommunicated, They'd been excommunicated and nobody was allowed to marry into the tribe of Benjamin in the, in the story of the concubine of Giva. This is related in the book of Judges and 19 um, verse 21. And this occurred during the judgeship of Otniel ben Kanaz, led the Jewish people in Israel in the years 2533 to 2573. In other words, 1228 to 1188 before the common era. And here again, they chose the date of the 15th of Av for the lifting of that decree, which ousted the tribe of Binyamin from being allowed to intermarry with the other tribes in Israel. A fifth event that we're told about was Hoshea ben Ella opened the roads to Yerushalayim. Now, it's hard for us to get our minds around this one because when the uh, Holy Land of Israel um, went through the struggles that it did. Uh, we're talking about now a thousand years or so before the Common Era, and then uh, right up to uh, 797 before the Common Era, there was a, a division of the land into two kingdoms, and this followed the death of King Solomon. And Yeravam ben Navat, the ruler of the breakaway northern kingdom of Israel, actually set up roadblocks to prevent his citizens from making the three yearly, three times a year pilgrimage to the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom of Yehuda. Now imagine that a Jewish king north of Israel makes a decree that people are not allowed to travel to Jerusalem. And in fact, he set up roadblocks. Now these weren't just roadblocks. 
that you could negotiate your way through, that you could get around. They were uh, ironclad uh, roadblocks. There was no way through. And believe it or not, they stood for 200 years. And more than 200 years later, they were removed by Hoshea ben Ella, the last king of the northern kingdom. And this happened, by the way, on the 15th of Av in 574 before the common era. In other words, 3187 in on the 15th of Av. This is when they were removed. A sixth event was the dead of Beitar were allowed to be buried. The fortress of Beitar was the last holdout of the Bar Kokhba rebellion. We spoke about this rebellion uh, before, and when Beitar fell, which was on the 9th of Av, that's when we referred to it, on Tisha B'Av, in the year 133 of the Common Era, so going back 1900 years or so, um, uh, Bar Kokhba and many thousands of Jews were killed. The Romans massacred the survivors of the battle with great cruelty and to add insult to injury, they wouldn't allow the Jews to bury their dead. When the dead of Beitar were finally brought to burial, that was the 15th of Av in the year 3908 in 148 of the Common Era. And it was due to this, actually, strangely enough, that we added in a special prayer Hatov Vahametiv was added into our Birkat Hamazon, our Grace After Meals, in commemoration of this great event. So Birkat Hamazon, the Bracha Hatov Vahametiv, is added in because of the 15th of Av in the year 148 of the Common Era. Finally, it was known as the Day of the Breaking of the Axe. Now, when the temple stood in Jerusalem, the annual cutting of firewood for the altar, was concluded on the 15th of Av. And this event was celebrated with feasting and rejoicing, as is customary whenever we complete something of a holy nature, and included a ceremonial event called the breaking of the axes, which gave the day its name. Now, I think you can see that there is a common theme, the idea of breaking down barriers, the idea of um, getting back to where we should be, the idea of some kind of a rebirth, a rejuvenation, the idea of marriages, the idea of coming together and building not only families, but building the entire um, strong strength of the Jewish people per se. This all has so much to do with this great date, the 15th of Av, Chamish Aser Be'Av, which we celebrate over this coming Shabbos. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Well, let's take a look once again at what the Talmud in Tainus tells us about the 15th of Av. There were no greater festivals for Israel than the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. On these days, the daughters of Jerusalem would go out and dance in the vineyards. Well, here it comes and they said, and what would they say? Young men, raise your eyes and see which you select for yourself. And so it is written. Go out, daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon in the crown with which his mother crowned him on his wedding day and on the day of his heart's rejoicing. His wedding day, this is the giving of the Torah. The day of his heart's rejoicing, this is the building of the holy temple, which shall be rebuilt speedily in our days. That's what the Gemara tells us. Now, it's an amazing thing that it actually links it with King Solomon talking about his wedding day being the day of the giving of the Torah and the day of his heart's rejoicing, the building of the Holy Temple. So what are we actually talking about? Well, interestingly enough, the Gemara, the Talmud goes on to say 
What would the beautiful ones amongst them say? Look for beauty, for a woman is for beauty. What would those of prestigious lineage say? Look for family, for a woman is for children. What would the ugly ones say? Make your acquisition for the sake of heaven, as long as you decorate us with jewels. What is this actually all about? What are we talking about here? That the maidens would go out and dance, that uh, they were the beautiful ones, the prestigious ones, the ones with lineage, with heritage, and then there were the ugly ones. What are we actually going on about? This is an amazing and very, very strange, peculiar event where Shidduchim are made in such a fashion. Well, we're told if we look at it a little bit more carefully that, in fact, we're talking about different modes of love. Yes, so where we perhaps have a comparison of the 15th of Av being a day of love, there are different modes of love. And, in fact, on this Shabbos, we're going to read the first paragraph of the Shema in our um, Torah reading, besides the fact that we say it in our prayers every day, where we say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And we then say, We're talking about the love and the marriage between God and the Jewish people. And when we think about the modes of love, different kinds of love that there are, well, there's a love that comes from attraction. When one sees something or someone that is, that you're attracted to or you learn about them and you become attracted, that is one mode of love. There is a second mode of love. There's a mode of love that is something that's ingrained within you. You know, we're told that from Avraham Avinu, from Abraham, our forefather, we have an innate integrated kind of a love that we can show for the Almighty that comes from somewhere deep in our souls. It's not dependent on God performing in a certain way or showing us his greatness. It's not when we're impressed with the things that God does or doesn't do. It is something that's ingrained within us. And so perhaps when we think about these different stances or these different statements that are made by the different women, there are the beautiful ones. So they're talking about a love that perhaps comes from attraction. There is an attraction kind of a love. And when we, when we see the wondrousness, the greatness that Hashem performs on our behalf, we look around our beautiful world and we marvel at it. Well, that's one kind of a love, but there's something that's innate within us. And then, of course, there is a kind of love that can uh, not be there at all, maybe, where we actually say, well, you know what? I can't muster up the innate kind of a love, and I actually can't muster up the love that comes from attraction. In fact, I am, in inverted commas, in a state that we could call ugly before God. And then we say, God, you know what? Just because you created me, you put me on earth, you asked me to do something special for you and for the world, I know that you will decorate me with all sorts of wonderful and beautiful adornments to show just how much you take pleasure in me and perhaps my love will come to you through that. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So the day of the 15th of Av, Tuba Av, Av, is so significant because it really speaks of love. Now, this is not, as we said, just love between people in order to create marriages. This is euphemistic. It is a metaphor for the love that God has for us and for, and us for Him. We had that love and we expressed that love and we showed that love, of course, when euphorically uh, we celebrated the fact that we were about to cross over and inherit Israel. This was a love that God had finally delivered us 
out of Egypt and out of the desert and that we were on our way to inherit the beautiful holy land of Eretz Yisrael. It is also a time of great love, recognizing the Beit HaMikdash, the temple. Remember, we've just come through a period of time where we mourn for its destruction. But as we move away from that and things start turning into a more positive light and we're no longer just bent on thinking about destruction, depression, sadness and so on, we can really turn to a great depth of accumulated love that we can express in the ways of understanding that we can do something by loving God a little bit more, by loving our fellow man a little bit more, to build one brick at a time in the spiritual realms of uh, kindness and goodness that we need as a foundation for the great structure of the Beit HaMikdash Hashlishi, the third temple, which is waiting to descend. And as we move away from the three weeks in Tisha B'Av, and we move to a period of time of great love, even if we cannot muster that deep, founded, unique love that God has implanted within us um, from the time of Avraham Avinu, of Abraham. And we cannot perhaps see around us anything to gaze at and realize the incredible power that Hashem has put into making a beautiful world and giving us all the wonderful things that we have. We can just say, Hashem, you know what? We've been here for you. We have been around for so long and we've been doing what we've been doing for so long as Jews, as adherents to your faith, as people who have followed and praised and loved you. And we've said the Shema Yisrael um, as a dying uh, wish on our lips, as many have gone, unfortunately, to their deaths. This is something that we prepared to not only live for and to die for. But it's something that we want to continue to express at every possible moment of our lives. So if that's all that we have, Hashem, please shower us with adornments. Look fondly on all the wonderful things that we've done and make sure that this 15th of Av, which is going to be on this coming Shabbos, we turn from a time of sadness into a time of great joy and great love. And we look forward to being back with you again next week, same time, same place, with another exciting installment of Judaism 101.9. Take care.